there was some research from MIT that showed a 24 hour water fast re, um, rebooted intestinal stem cells. So it actually helped with the gut. Um, that could be a big way to reset your gut. So what that would look like would be. Welcome to Ultra Habits. Here, we go under the hood with our guests to unpack the minutiae and to understand what processes and systems they engage or research that result in ultra enhanced living. Hey guys, it's RJ Singh here from the Ultra Habits Podcast, and thank you for joining us on another amazing show with a great guest, Ben Azadi. So we dive into the world of intermittent fasting and discuss the benefits. Now, it's a short show. It's about 35, 40 minutes. It's very pointed and factually based. Now, gut health is something that I've struggled with over the years, and I know that a lot of people in the professional landscape, as well as the athletic landscape, do struggle with this issue. So with all the choices out there, all the myths, all the information, I really wanted to take the opportunity to speak to an expert. And Ben and I had a really informative and dynamic conversation. Let us know what you think. Hopefully this show impacts you. Leave us your feedback. Always keen for your reviews. It helps us make this show better and more impactful for you. Take care, guys. Thank you for joining us, Ben, on the Ultra Habits podcast. Really, really excited to have you here. And I just want to quickly talk about why I wanted you on the show. So food, for me, I've always had an interesting relationship with it, is someone that is on the road a lot, in the office a lot, doing a lot of sport. I kind of developed an interesting relationship with food, maybe eating too much, eating at the wrong times. And I would always feel bloated. Like I just never felt completely right in terms of my eating. And I think a lot of it is cultural. A lot of it's mixed, mixed messaging. And so I started doing some research and I came across your brief, but really, really um, informative book on Audible, the Intermittent Fasting Cheat Sheet. And it really had a lot of insights into fasting and I've really taken hold of it. And I really wanted our audience to get the benefit of what I've come to learn from your, your material. So I guess just for people that don't know, can you talk a little bit about what intermittent fasting is, Ben? Absolutely, RJ. So intermittent fasting is what, what I call an ancient healing strategy. Uh, it has been around since humans have existed. Uh, back in the day, our ancestors all did intermittent fasting because their environment forced them into periods of time during uh, famine. And uh, this might sound like a, a bad thing, but in today's day and age, it could actually be a good thing. So if you fast forward to today, we have the opposite uh, problem. We have food readily available to us. We have we could hit a button on our phone here in America, Uber Eats. I'll have a person knocking on my door in 45 minutes. We could go to the grocery store. We could go to our fridge. But here's the deal. Our bodies are still hardwired for the old school. It's our, our DNA, our cells are hardwired for feast famine cycles. So what intermittent fasting does, it replicates the way that our ancestors lived and it goes along the lines of our physiology, the way that we were designed to live. So it's a matter of just having your eating window and then having your fasting window. And if you could follow that approach, and we'll talk about different strategies, the body really heals. It, it, it fixes the gut. Like you mentioned, your, your gut issues you were having. It helps you burn fat. It helps you reduce inflammation. It helps you perform better 
uh, mentally, physically, and just in all areas of your health. So it's a great tool. And if you use it the right way, it could be um, such a, a benefit to anybody who uses it the right way. Really, really um, solid answer there, Ben. And one of the things that I also liked about your messaging, although you're a keto guy, you were representing the view that fasting is relevant for any dietary preferences, whether you're anything from paleo or vegan or, um, or keto. And, you know, as you know, I'm in the ultra running community, there's people that vary and quite passionate about their food choices. But your view is that irrespective of whatever your, your food choices may be, it's still beneficial, isn't it? Absolutely. So whatever dietary philosophy you, you follow, whatever nutritional guidelines, you could add something like intermittent fasting and get amazing results. Uh, and even though I, I love keto, keto camps, my company, even with keto, that's a tool. That's just one tool, right? Fasting is another tool. There's so many tools out there. So even with keto, I don't think being in ketosis for a long time is healthy. I use that to kind of go in and out of ketosis. So if you apply fasting with keto or veganism or paleo, whatever it is that you're following, you'll get amazing results. Yeah. One of the things that you touched on in your book, and I think as a society, we're not really aware of this. And I think partly without being too philosophical is we've lost connection with our body. Mm -hmm. We just don't have that feel. We, it's kind of disconnected. And maybe it's because we live in a mechanized world and it's all about technology and outside influences. But I want to talk about how much energy it takes to process food, because that was one of the things that you touched upon that really was shouting out to me in, in terms of what people may not actually understand happens when you eat food. Yeah. So a lot of the people who are hesitant to, tr to try and do fasting is they, they believe that they wouldn't be able to focus. They wouldn't have the energy because they feel like food gives them energy. But the truth of the matter is this food does not give you energy. It's the complete opposite. It takes a lot of resources, blood flow, uh, digestive properties to process a meal. And it takes about 12 to 18 hours just to process one single meal. So think about the last time you had a big uh, dinner, like a dinner party, you know, here in America, we have Thanksgiving and Christmas, but there's, let's say it was a holiday that you celebrated and you had a big feast meal. Did you immediately think right after, oh, I'm so energized and focused. I want to go get some work done. No, no, no. The, what you thought was I am feeling sluggish. I'm going to go sit on the couch and become, uh, go into a food coma because it's using so much resources and it's taking blood flow away from your brain. So when you practice intermittent fasting, now you still have all of the energy, all the resources, all the blood flow, instead of using that for digestion, it's being diverted to crush your day. Your, your body thinks you're going through a famish and what it does, it literally pumps you full of energy. It pumps you full of what's called counter-regulatory hormones. So number one, it's taking all those resources that would be used for digestion. And then it's using, it's helping you crush your day because it, it wants you to stay alive and alert to go hunt and kill and get your next meal. But the ultimate hack here as an entrepreneur, as somebody who wants to be a high performer is to use all the energy and all the resources to crush your day. It could be a sales call. It could be a, an interview. It could be a, a, a zoom, call, whatever it is. And you're going to use all that focus and clarity to crush your day. And that's where fasting comes into play as a powerful tool as an entrepreneur. So personally, I get most of my work done. I'm the most productive. I'm the most mentally sharp 
when I'm in the fasted state. When I have a meal, it's uh, I'm just not as sharp. I just don't feel as good. So that's what fasting can do for you. Uh, if you are not fasting and if you're eating all the time, every two to three hours, not skipping a meal, you're, you're taking energy away from your day. You're taking energy away from the task at hand and it's leading to digestive issues as well. It's really interesting too that when I fast personally, I need to be careful because, you know, psychological and historical tendencies will take hold. And after I fast, my head will say, man, you're starving and I'll start smashing food. And it's one of the things that I've had to be careful about. I'm not starving, but there's still that tendency to think, oh my God, I haven't eaten for hours and then I'll smash food. And then I would have, it's actually done the same thing. I'm then tired because at 1030, I've like, I've overeaten because I've been fasting. And I think it's just really, we're so habituated to food, man. It's crazy, right? We are. It's perfect for your podcast. It's, it's a, it's a learned habit, right? It's, it's something that we, it's really a learned behavioral hunger. Uh, we typically get hungry the times we're used to eating. So the hunger hormone comes out, it's called ghrelin. And then it tells you, you have hunger pangs and then you're like, I got to go eat something. Right. But the, the unique thing, uh, about hormones, all hormones, including the hunger hormone, they're pulsatile, meaning they spike up and go back down. So if you could just ride that hunger wave, keep yourself busy, maybe go for a walk, go on a sales call, the hunger will go away. But a lot of the times, like you said, RJ, it's, it's, it's the fact that people are, that it's a psychological thing more than a physiological thing. They think they need to eat. Otherwise they're going to lose muscle. They're going to slow down the metabolism. But once you understand how the body works at the cellular level and how the metabolism works, it's very empowering because your body's going to switch over to your fat and burn that for fuel. And it's going to actually help you have a more efficient metabolism, not decrease the metabolism. You talked about that wonderful and interesting story about the Scottish dude who yeah. fasted for 382 days. And I think on a water diet, Yep. can you unpack fat burning and fasting and what actually happens and that concept of autophagy and apoptosis have I said that right? Apoptosis, yeah. yeah. Can you talk a little bit about that whole piece? Absolutely. So I'll, I'll tackle the fat loss part first. And, and yeah, that gentleman, Angus, his name was Angus Burberry. He, he holds the Guinness World Record for the longest recorded fast. He just had water and a multivitamin for 382 days. He went from 450 pounds on day one to 180 pounds on day 382. He was monitored by medical doctors. His electrolytes look good, his blood work looked good. That's an ex extreme example to show you that the body knows what to do. We store fat so we could use that fat when we're not eating. This guy had a lot of fat. So I, I would argue that although this, this guy, Angus, didn't put food in his mouth, he was eating from his own body fat and he had a lot of body fat to go through. So that's uh, an example of fat loss, right? So the analogy that I give for fat loss, if somebody wants to lose some extra body fat with fasting, here's how it works. When we eat food, we convert that food into glucose, into strings of sugar. This is called glycogen, and it gets stored in our liver and, and skeletal muscle. We store about 2,000 calories of these sugar reserves. Uh, so I'm going to compare our sugar reserves to a wallet, right? RJ, if I pulled out my wallet here, I see it's very easy to get cash and put cash back in. That's the benefit, very easy access, quick access. Now the goal 
is to get to our fat stores, which will take a little bit longer to get to. That's what I compared to our bank safe. We have to drive to the bank, wait in line, show documentation to the teller, and then we have access to our bank safe. The benefit of the bank safe is that there's almost unlimited stores there. In our body fat, we store thousands and tens of thousands, some people hundreds of thousands of calories. So when you are practicing fasting, what you're doing is you're burning through your sugar reserves, uh, your wallet, and then you're going to switch over once you burn through it to your bank safe, your fat stores. And that's what fasting can do for you. And that's what we want. That's metabolic flexibility. So uh, that's, the, the, that's how you can lose fat with uh, intermittent fasting. Now, you asked a question about a process called autophagy. This is my favorite benefit of fasting. And if you are really serious about living a long life and you're focused on health and longevity, because here's the truth, what, what good is it to build your business and earn all this income, but your health is being destroyed? Right. There was a story about a, a gentleman. His name was Mike. And every year on his birthday, him and his, his wife and his two kids had a tradition. So he, when he turned 33 years old, he had 33 blank papers, blank sheets of papers, like notepads, and he would write 33 wishes. Right. So 33 years old, 33 wishes, 35 years old, 35 wishes. He was turning 40 years old, but this time it was different. He was recently diagnosed with cancer. So on his 40th birthday, he didn't have 40 notepads, he had one. And his only wish was for health because the person with good health has many wishes. The person with bad health has one wish and that is just to get their health back. So look, I'm all for scaling up, growing your business, growing your brand, making a big impact on planet earth, but not while sacrificing your health. The truth is this, when you improve your health, your productivity increases. So not only are you building your business, you're building your health. The bigger the vision, the more energy required. So the, this goes back full circle to this process called autophagy. Now, the Greek definition for autophagy is eat thyself. I know that might sound a little bit weird, but it's actually a very magnific magnificent process. The human body is absolutely remarkable. There is something inside the body called the innate intelligence. It is the world's greatest physician, the world's greatest healer. And we need to activate this because there's no pill, no surgery, no supplement, no shot that could replace what we have within us, which is this innate intelligence. And you activate it with fasting and autophagy is one of the ways to activate it. So another analogy, because I find analogies help a lot. Picture a refrigerator that we all have in our kitchen. We open up the refrigerator and we see groceries inside of the refrigerator. Groceries have expiration dates on them, but imagine instead of uh, uh, instead of, you know, using those groceries, you let them expire and you don't throw those groceries inside the trash. You kind of just grab them, put them in the shelves, push them towards the back of the fridge. They're all expired groceries. You're leaving them in the fridge and then you're buying fresh groceries and putting them in front of the old groceries and just closing that door. Imagine that that's going to be a toxic environment, disease, mold, bacteria. It's going to be nasty. Well, the human body is like this refrigerator. We have proteins, we have cells, we have mitochondria and fat inside the body that all have an expiration date on them. As a matter of fact, out of the 70 trillion cells in the body, 70 billion of them are required to go through this recycling process of getting rid of the damaged groceries. And that is the process called autophagy. Autophagy, you're, when during a fast, your body needs to get energy from somewhere. And if you're not eating it from food energy, it activates autophagy and it literally seeks out these expired cells and it starts to clean them out like Pac-Man going within your cells, cleaning it out. And here's the next thing it does. If it 
has determined a cell is not functioning at all. In the scientific literature, it's called a senescent cell, a zombie cell. It'll send a signal for apoptosis to get rid of that cell altogether, which is called programmed cell death, cell suicide. And then it stimulates a stem cell for a new cell. And that new stem cell could go to your liver, it could go to your kidneys, it could go to your brain, but your body's doing this during a fast. It's absolutely amazing when you think about it because you're just going with your day, you're crushing your day, but this entire process is happening and you get that with autophagy, you get that with uh, autophagy through a fast and other ways to activate autophagy, by the way, exercise is a great way to do it. And there's other like specific herbs like turmeric, resveratrol, but the best way to do it is with fasting. Fascinating and well-articulated, Ben. I, I would make the statement on the back of what you said, and I'm sure you would agree that whilst we've in modern science have come up with many ways to optimize the body, we also have come up with many ways to get in the way of our own body doing its thing, right? Oh, so true. Yeah, there's well said because there, there's three principles to healing. Number one, identify interference, right? That's what you just said. We're, we're putting things in the way of, of preventing the body from healing. So we identify interference. Two, remove interference. And then three, just allow your body to heal. Perfect example is this, the autophagy. There is a world-renowned cancer doctor out of Boston College here in America. His name is Dr. Thomas Seafried. He wrote a really great book, scientific book called Cancer um, as a Metabolic Disease. And in his book, he has been quoted as saying this. This is going to blow the mind of your listeners here. He said that if you completed a seven-day water-only fast once per year, you would reduce your risk of any cancer by 95% because of this maximum autophagy process. He has literally seen cancerous tumors shrink before his eyes in his patients when they go through this process. That actually dovetails right into the next piece I wanted to discuss about fasting and disease prevention. And I guess we've touched upon that with the autophagy process, but is there anything else on that that you would say? Yeah, the opposite is true. If you want to age faster than anybody you know and develop disease much quicker, eat every two to three hours because it's you're stimulating glucose. So think every time you stimulate glucose, um, it has an oxidation effect. So when I say oxidation, think of like when you bite into an apple and let's say you just leave it on, on your desk for like three hours, it starts to turn brown, right? This is kind of happening to your cells. It's rusting. Every time you eat every two to three hours, you're starting this process. You're raising glucose. You're preventing your body from going through autophagy. So you have all these bad cells that are now duplicating, leading to disease. That's why fasting is much more than a fat loss tool. Yes, you'll lose weight with fasting, but it's much more than that. And if you're serious about your health and living way past 100 years old, you got to harness this power of, of fasting. Just on that, and I know we, we talked about unpacking this later on another show, but how does sleep relate to fasting? What's the connector there? What's the connection there? Yeah, sleep is the Swiss army knife of health, I call it. It is uh, foundational. Somebody who's not getting good sleep, they're going to be in a fight or flight state. Uh, there was a study in Scientific American that showed just one poor night of sleep the following morning, these participants had higher levels of glucose, higher levels of cortisol, the stress hormone, higher levels of ghrelin, that hunger hormone, and lower levels of leptin, which is the hormone that tells you you're full stop eating. So um, it's a stress to the body when you're not sleeping. And then if you do 
fasting with bad sleep, you will have a counter effect because fasting is a stress to the body. It's a good stress. It's called a hormetic stress. But if you already are in a stressful state from poor sleep, you'll get the opposite effect of what you want. It actually could create more inflammation in your body. When I, um, I first got sober and kind of embarked on a road of recovery, one of the things that I started to become acutely aware of because I was shit-faced all the time before that, I wasn't connected to my body. But one of the things that innately started to occur was I noticed the relationship between my lack of sleep, overworking, overexercising, and diet. And there'd be these weird periods where I'd be super tired and I thought the answer was to go to the gym and it's a mm. tricky one. Or I would be bloated and I thought I was fat and I would go to the gym when really I think what was required was sleep. Yeah, exactly. Uh, exactly. I've seen so many people sacrifice sleep to go exercise and they're doing it wrong. What was required for you, RJ? was to get seven, at least seven hours of quality sleep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it, it happens on the, um, in the ultra, ultra community as well quite a bit where there can be challenges with rest and recovery and we really need to know when to let our body rest and listen to our bodies. So Ben, what I'd like to jump into next is the different types of fasting. What's available for people that are interested in embarking on fasting from, you know, beginners through to intermediate through to advanced, what different types of styles are available? Yeah, RJ. So I'll start with those who are wanting to get started with fasting beginners. So what you can do is you can start with a 12 hour fast and you could utilize your sleeping window. So here's how it would work. Let's say you finish eating dinner at 7 p.m. So you're done, last bite of food, 7 p.m. And then you would go to bed and then you would wait until 7 a.m. to have your first bite of food. That would be a 12-hour fast. That's doable for most people. And then what you want to do from there is start pushing out either making your dinner an hour earlier or pushing out your breakfast an hour later. And the goal is to lead up to about an 18-hour fast. I like that for most people, an 18-6 schedule, meaning 18 hours in the fasted state, you're just having some water, you're having some sea salt, and then you have a six-hour eating window. So what that would look like is you go until 12 p.m., you break your fast, which is breakfast. That's the definition of breakfast. You're just breaking your fast. At 12 p.m., you have your meal, and then you have another meal. You have two meals. At, uh, you have another meal at 6 p.m. So you have two meals between 12 and 6 p.m., and then you fast until 12 p.m. the next day. That You want to build up to that. And then uh, more of an advanced strategy is throwing in a 24-hour water fast about once per week. Uh, eventually, you would get there because fasting is a muscle. You're just developing it over time. But the benefit of a 24-hour fast, you get more of that autophagy we spoke about. But also, I just wrote about this in my new book coming out called Keto Flex. There was some research from MIT that showed a 24-hour water fast re, um, rebooted intestinal stem cells. So it actually helped with the gut. Um, that could be a big way to reset your gut. So what that would look like would be dinner to dinner sort of deal. You could finish eating at 7 p.m. on Sunday. You go until 7 p.m. on Monday, just having water and sea salt. So you would work up your way to that. And doing that once per week has numerous benefits. And what are some of the inhibitors that you see for people that want to embark on this path, whether it be societal 
norms or misconceptions. I remember listening to your book, you know, you talked about, and I've heard this in the gym as well, all burn muscle, blah, blah, blah. Like what are some of the misconceptions that you see in here in reference to, uh, yeah, fasting? One of the biggest ones is that you're going to go into this starvation mode and you're going to slow down your metabolism. But the truth is the exact opposite happens. There was a great study that showed after four consecutive days of water fasting, the metabolism did not shut down. It actually increased by 13%. And, and here's why. The body raises counter-regulatory hormones during a fast. These hormones run counter to insulin. So you're not eating food. Insulin is low. Counter-regulatory -hormo counter hormones go up. Again, this goes back to the body wanting to pump you full of energy and focus and clarity to go hunt and kill. So it does not slow down the metabolism. It actually makes it more efficient, uh, number one. And then, yeah, that's another myth about the muscle loss. The body's not stupid. We, we don't eat food and then store those food calories as body fat. And then when the chips are down, we tap into muscle, right? That, that doesn't make any sense. That's, that is like um, storing firewood all summer long to get ready for the cold winter months. And now winter rolls around, you have all this firewood stored up, but then you go and you chop up your couch and throw that into the furnace. It makes no sense. So the body knows what to do. We were designed miraculously. It's going to tap into fat, not muscle. Um, of course, if you do too much fasting, too much excessive fasting, there could be an effect where you do end up eating at muscle, but not with these strategies that I'm speaking about. And there, you're, so you're saying that the fact that someone is working out that may increase their capacity or someone that's working out a lot, they could indeed end up burning muscle if they're not skillful in the way they fast is what you're saying. There needs to be knowledge behind the way and application of that knowledge and a real clear plan on how they're fasting, right? If they're excessively exercising is what you're saying. That, and if they combine that with not eating enough, like if they're cutting calories, not eating enough protein could have a negative effect. When, when you fast your body, one of those counter regulatory hormones that are increased is human growth hormone. Now we know human growth hormone is anti-aging. It's muscle preserving and muscle building. Another study showed after just uh, 24 hours of fasting, human growth hormone was increased in men by 2000% and in women, 1300%. So that's your body's way of preserving muscle. But if you do too much fasting, you're doing 24 hours every single day, what's called OMAD, one meal a day, and you're not eating enough protein and you're not eating enough food during your meals and you're exercising excessively, then once your body's done with the bad stuff, it'll go for the good stuff and there goes your protein and your muscle. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I think I'm still on that journey to really understanding the balance. And part of my issue is food and really a passion for the application of food has never really been, you know, my wife cooks, she cooks healthy. I eat what's there, but when I'm in ultra running mode, I haven't really adjusted, I think appropriately. So when I'm doing my long runs in the morning or big sessions, I think I need to alter my relationship to food and fasting versus if I was just fasting normally. And it's something that I'll probably pick your brain on, offline later because what i find yeah. is i move through this real hangover phase during the day um at the best of times when i'm in ultra training in ultra running training 
Um, and I think food is a critical piece there. So that's something that really interested myself in regards to uh, your material. So I want to talk about one of the things that you just talked about was uh, females and, and women in relationship to, to fasting. So is it safe for both sexes? Like what are, what, what's your view on, on fasting for women as well as men? Well, when you look back at history, women were not exempt when it came to fasting. They, they also fasted. Now men do better with more fasting than women. So it, it also depends on where that woman, how old she is and if she has a menstrual cycle, right? So there's different times during the menstrual cycle that you want to do more fasting and less fasting. And then during postmenopausal as well, you don't want to make sure you, you don't want to do too much fasting as well. So to answer your question, yes, they both could get amazing benefits from fasting. Men could be a little bit more aggressive. Women less aggressive. And it, you know, you gotta, like you said, you gotta really fine tune that with your body, see how you feel. There's ways to test, see how, if your schedule is working for you, we could get into that, but uh, they both can do it. Yeah. Can I drink coffee and tea? Cause a lot of professionals are out there. We love our coffee, bro. So can what's your view on coffee and fasting? So it depends on what it's doing to your glucose. You would have to test. I, I get this question a lot. So you would test your blood glucose before you have your coffee and then have your coffee. And then 30 minutes later, test your blood glucose again. If you see it rising more than five points, then it's breaking your fast. It's breaking some of that autophagy. But if you see it staying the same, you're good. Uh, and it's very different for every single person. So I would do that test, do it three days in a row to get a good average. Um, you, you, you know, you, you might be one of the blessed ones like me. I'm able to have my coffee during a fast and not get a glucose response. Yeah. I'm sure people will be happy to, to hear that. Yeah, <laughs> no totally. doubt. So obesity and some of the myths and confusion about obesity. You're in the U.S. I'm in Australia. It's, it's an epidemic overeating. There's McDonald's on every corner and KFC and food is fast and it's accessible. You had an interesting view on fasting or sorry, fasting, sorry, obesity. Can you just talk about fasting and relationship to obesity? When you look at obesity, what it leads to is insulin resistance, type two diabetes. And here we have an epidemic of it as well. Um, in, in America, 60%, 60% of Americans are either diabetic or pre-diabetic. Three out of four Americans are overweight or obese. So it leads to a whole host of other problems. But here, here's, the, here's the deal. I mean, insulin resistance, being obese, uh, being type two diabetic, those are actually not the problem. They are a result of the problem. Those are symptoms. When I was obese, I was obese for uh, until I was 24 years old. I never had a weight problem. I had a weight symptom. So if we could actually get to the cause where fasting comes into play, because insulin is a fat storage hormone. Out of the 600 hormones in the body, 600 plus hormones in the body, only one of those hormones store fat, and that is insulin. Insulin is the bully of the block. When he's around, all your fat-burning hormones are scattered. When you are fasting, insulin is down. Your body's tapping into fat stores. So that's how fasting can be used as a strategy with other things to combat obesity, insulin resistance, diabetes, and a lot of these diseases people are dealing with. It's amazing. Majority of the world is starving and certain communities and societies are busting at the seams. Really bizarre, yeah. isn't it? When you think about it. So um, I want to get into uh, a really interesting piece and something that starts to really rein in on habits, controlling your environment. So 
I want you to really uh, go into the story of the crabs in a bucket because I loved yeah. it. Yeah. And can you then talk about how one can sustain fasting through kind of daily habits and engagement? Yeah, it's important. That's a big barrier, having people influence your decision uh, when it comes to fasting or any nutritional thing you're doing. And I call those people, the negative people in your life, crabs. Uh, and what I mean by that, the crabs in a bucket story, uh, it turns out you could put 20 crabs in a bucket without a lid, leave those crabs there overnight, come back in the morning, all 20 crabs will be there. And you might be wondering, why didn't they just try to escape and be free? Well, they did. And anytime a crab tried to escape, the other crabs will claw at it, drag it back down, rip its legs off and pull it back down, not letting it escape. And the truth is we have people in our lives that are crabs. They are, you know, we tell them, Hey, you know, I, I'm going to do some intermittent fasting. And here's, here's the truth. When you change, you become a threat to all the people in your life who do not change. It points a mirror to them and what they're not doing. And they could have these remarks like, why do you want to do that? You're going to shut down your metabolism. You're going to mess your, up your hormones. And those are the crabs in your life that you want to be really aware of because they could really put a dent in your habits. And as you know, RJ, it takes a while to develop new habits. And if you have these people clawing at you back down to their level, it's going to be very challenging. But if you understand how the body works, if you're empowered with this knowledge, I have found that competence leads to confidence and conviction. So you can actually educate them and overcome those crabs in your life. You touched on it earlier. You touched on it earlier. And I, given the back, uh, on, on the back of what you just said around competence leading to confidence, I know that that is something that happened for yourself. Like you're not talking about it from a third person or a viewer. This is something that you actually uh, embarked on in your own life on the back of a personal crisis. And I left it to the end on purpose because I really wanted the facts to come across as the facts, but really leave an opportunity for us to dive into your story. So Ben, how did you come into all this, man? Like, can you tell us what your path was into, into fasting? Yeah. As, as I mentioned earlier, I was obese. Uh, I ate a standard American diet, which I call a stupid American diet, <laughs> Kentucky fried chicken for sure. Taco Bell. I mean, whatever I could get my hands on. And I was eating every two to three hours. I was addicted to food, sugar, uh, drugs, video games, bad environments, a whole bunch of crabs in my life back then. And then when I was 24 years old, back in 2008, I hit rock bottom where I was depressed, suicidal. I wanted to end my life. I kept thinking about my mother and it stopped me from pursuing that. Thank God. And then uh, this is a point where I hit rock bottom and I was given books. As you see behind me, I started to read books and books saved my life. I started to read books from authors like Wayne Dyer, Bob Proctor, Earl Nightingale, Jim Rohn, I mean, legends who have had their own rock bottom and they took ownership to get out of that. And for the first time ever, it helped me take ownership. Go ahead. No. Oh, I thought you were going to say something. No, I don't. Uh, it, it helped me take ownership for the first time in my life because up until that point, RJ, I was the victim, man. I was blaming my genetics, my metabolism, my enabling family members, et cetera, et cetera. But then I said, enough of that. You know, my results are because of me. I'm taking ownership. I'm taking responsibility. And, and that word is very important. Responsibility. That is your ability to respond 
to life. So I immediately stopped being the victim of history. I became the master of my destiny. And I started to focus on my health. I started to eat better and exercise. And nine months from that moment, I went from 250 pounds down to 170 pounds, 34% body fat down to 6% body fat, size 38 waist to size 30 waist. And then I finally carved out a physical six pack. But the most important thing that I achieved was a mental six pack. I started to think better thoughts. I started to think thoughts that were going to serve me and instead of sabotaging me. And, and that's where my journey started. I became a personal trainer, CrossFit owner, and then certified as a health coach. And then I started writing my books and just learning uh, nutrition at the science level. I love having people on the show that have really walked their research. Um, there's such an added level of depth that comes from it. And you know, you're all the way in Miami, I'm in Sydney, and I can feel your passion, bro. I take my hat off to you because I can, I can really sense your purpose and, and, um, and your care factor, bro. So hats off, bro. I want to now ask you, where can our listeners find you? Like, how can they actually get access to your stuff? Yeah. Thank you for the kind words, RJ. I really yeah, appreciate sure. that, brother. Thank you. Yeah. I mean, my, my podcast could be a great resource. It's called the Keto Camp Podcast. It's not just about keto. We talk about mindset. We talk about fasting. We talk about these ancient healing strategies that's available everywhere. And then my YouTube channel, which is called the Keto Camp YouTube channel. Camp is spelled with the K. Uh, I've been doing some really cool things on Clubhouse. Uh, you could just type in my name, uh, the Ben Azadi, and then just look me up on any social media platform, LinkedIn, Facebook, et cetera. I'm on all of those. Well, look, Ben, we'll wrap it up there. I really want to appreciate you for coming on our show and gracing us with your knowledge and wisdom. Again, thanks for coming on, Ben. And we're definitely going to have you back on. We're going to talk about sleep next time. It was really, really cool. Again, thanks. And uh, yeah, we're out. Thank you, RJ. That was awesome.